There is nobody like our King. There is nobody like our Father. There is nobody like the Holy Spirit. He is supreme. He is sovereign. He is the name above all other names. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And today we are here to worship that King. Amen. You can take your seat. Are you still blessed? Are you still with us? Amen. Let's commit this time to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we can celebrate your presence, that we have the honor and the privilege to worship a God like you. For truly, you are the only God. You are the only one that is deserving of all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. And I pray now, Holy Spirit, as we're about to sit around this word, that you will anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. I pray today that you will remove every distraction, every hindrance. I pray that you would help us to think with clarity. I pray that you'd help us to consume your word in the way that you have intended this morning. I pray now, Lord, that you would take your rightful place, that I will decrease and you would increase. I make my mouth available to you, Holy Spirit, and I pray have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I'm going to share with you a short encouragement. Um, a short encouragement um, in line with our theme, The Absolute Truth. Now, you've heard a lot a lot was shared this morning, so I'm not going to add on any of that. I want to get right in because I believe that what I'm about to share is quite important to the church. Uh, the scripture I'll be reading from is Isaiah 59, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. It's quite a lengthy passage, so I'm just quickly going to read through it. I ask you to please give your ear and your mind to the Word of God this morning. Everything else is secondary to what God is saying to us this morning. Amen. Isaiah 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They hatch vipers' eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies, and from that which is crushed, a viper breaks out. Verse 6, their webs will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their parts. The way of peace they have not known, and there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. Verse 9. 
Therefore, justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. Verse 12, for our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us as for those and, for, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. Verse 14, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, the coastlands he will fully repay. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgressions in Jacob, says the Lord. Verse 21, as for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them, my spirit who is upon you, and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I found that this passage was so fitting um, as I was looking to the Lord what it is he wants me to share. And I was amazed at when I came across this passage, it talked about exactly that which we were teaching ourselves in the Bible study. About the truth, about the light, about even the helmet and the breastplate of righteousness. Everything fit in so perfectly. So I was so amazed by this. And just to give you a recap um, the passages that I read to you from verse 1 to verse 8, you will see that there's a separation from God and the fruits of wickedness is shown to us in the passage. From verse 19 to verse 15, we see that there's a seeking for light. There's a searching for a solution to the darkness. And then in verse 15b to verse 21, the Lord sees that there is no one to bring justice or intercession. And so here we see that he decides to step in himself and to resolve this problem. He puts on his armor to deal with the issue of sin, darkness, and confusion once and for all. And he makes a way to raise a standard against the enemy. 
This morning, the title of the message I wish to share with you is Raise a Standard Through Me, Lord. So I asked myself the question when I consider that the Lord came, that He sent His Spirit, He, he sent, uh, you know, He came to raise a standard against the enemy. And I asked myself this question why is it that we still see darkness thriving then? Um, and I think a lot of people, when we ask the question, how does the Lord raise a standard? It's like in your mind's eye, you're imagining that this wind is going to come from somewhere or a sound is going to break forth from the heavens or there's going to be a storm of rain and there's just going to be this dramatic entrance of a standard. But when I look at the scripture, it just helps me understand that God uses people. He's waiting for people to avail themselves so that he can raise a standard. Why do we have so much darkness and deception calling the shots? Because the standard that was given to shine from the hilltop for all to see is hidden under a basket, according to Matthew 5.14. The Lord has made a way, a perfect way, but the announcement of his standards is mostly shared within the walls of the church often hidden from the rest of the world. How can you say that, Laverne? Thank you for asking. There are thousands of believers, born-again Christians. Surely as a collective, they should ignite a light so bright for the world to see. This is true. There are thousands and thousands of Christians, born-again Christians, Sadly, many hold the lantern, but too many have no oil in the lamp. And too many only light the lamp on a Sunday morning when among other Christians. I read to you again verse 14. Conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far off. For truth is fallen in the streets. And equity cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Basically, the reason the light is hidden is because the carriers of the light are afraid of becoming a prey to strong world unbelievers. We are afraid to be mocked. We are afraid to offend. We are afraid to oppose. We are afraid to correct them. So we fit right in, quietly, in the background, not making too much noise. We have allowed the brazen act of worldly confidence to scare us off, but this is the actual cry of the lost soul in the world. People like that lady, Jordan the witch. The true condition of their hearts is shown in verse 9, where they say, we look for light, but there is darkness for brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for a wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday at, as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. When I was preparing this, and even as we were going through the apologetic series, I thought to myself, for too long, men, we have allowed the blind to teach the stumbling to lead, the dead to speak, and the darkness to rule. 
Why is this happening? I believe there are two reasons why. The first reason is because there are many who don't understand the standard. The Lord is saying, why are you not representing my truth? And it makes me think, what is it that makes us as born-again Christians to keep quiet when false claims are made in our presence? What is it that caused blood-washed believers filled with the Spirit of God to silently agree with statements like, we all serve the same God? It's all about being in touch with your spirituality. Live light and love. The scriptures are interpretational. Whichever faith you practice, as long as you are humble, it is about your personal relationship that is the guiding function to fulfillment. It sounds, it sounds nice, but it's wrong. What is it that makes us allow our circles of fellowship to entertain such nonsense? I'm going to call it right out what it is. It's nonsense. False doctrine frilled with undertones of spirituality. When we know that not everything that is labeled spiritual is from the Spirit of God. Again, what is it then? Why do we keep quiet on issues like abortion, homosexuality, sex before marriage, adultery, fellow Christians joining in the social media slander campaign of the Lord's church and his church government and all the things that God hates. And worse of all, we allow these circles to prescribe to us that God lovingly accepts these tendencies because we were born this way. Yes, we were born sinners, but Jesus delivered us so that we can be born again into his way. Why is this? Why this is happening is answered by two schools of thought. And just bear with me for a moment. I'll explain it as best as I can. The first school of thought is that some believe the truth is relative. They call it relativism. What it basically means is that they believe truth is interpretational and you must do what faced on right. The problem with this thought is that truth cannot be progressive because if the standard keeps changing, how will you know what the right way is? Today you're right, tomorrow the trend says you're wrong. It is an unreliable source or way of thinking to say the least. The idea that the Christian message should be kept pliable and ambiguous seems especially attractive to our young people who are in tune with pop culture and in love with the spirit of the age and simply cannot stand to have an authoritative biblical truth applied with precision as corrective to worldly lifestyles, unholy minds, and ungodly behavior. John MacArthur says contemporary Christians are determined to get the world to like them. And of course, in the process, they want to have as much fun as possible. They are so obsessed with making the church seem cool to unbelievers that they can't be bothered with the questions about whether another person's doctrine is sound or not. Then there's the school of thought that says truth is absolute. absolute. So I said truth is relative 
and then truth is absolute. Okay, this means truth is unchanging. It is established. Thank you, Tracy. It is immovable. The truth cannot be mended and shaped to accommodate the trend. The truth is the standard. God's truth is absolute. God and truth are inseparable. Every thought about the essence of truth, what it is and what makes it true, and how we can possibly know anything for sure, quickly moves us back to God. To reject God is to reject the giver of all truth. The final judge of what really is true and the very essence and the embodiment of truth itself. I must say, truth exists outside of us and remains the same regardless of how we may perceive it and remains true regardless of our opinion and our feelings. Can somebody say amen? amen. Truth by definition is fixed and, const and constant as God is immutable. To select what you wish to believe and to claim that the Bible is sufficiently not clear, that is to assault God's own wisdom and his integrity. Coming back to my question, why is darkness thriving then? Why are we so silent on the matter of absolute truth and what the Spirit of the Lord has raised as the standard? The answer is, darkness has the upper hand because there is a lack of understanding. For the last few weeks, we have heard about knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. But sadly, a large population of the Christian community do not regard the knowledge of Scripture as important and love the message that as long as you are saved and being good, then you are fine. Knowledge of Scripture has erroneously been set aside for the Bible scholars or those who wish to be labeled as such. Even meetings as this are frowned upon and viewed as unnecessary and inconvenient. The answer is, there is little light because there is little knowledge of the light. In an age where deception is rife, there is a huge demand for born-again believers with the understanding of the truth so that the loss can be won through the application of wisdom, both in our conduct and what we preach. This morning, I have come with a message from the heart of God. He is calling for His light bearers to wake up from their slumber. We are in a truth war, people. Parents, you need to wake up. I say that respectfully to you. If you don't know and teach the scripture to your children, how are they going to uphold and love the truth? For instance, there are attacks on their biological design and their very gender is under attack. Even the cartoons on the TV are introducing subtle LGBTQ messages to introduce toddlers to what a normal marriage relationship looks like. The other day, Kurt showed me a video where they are now calling for a law to be taken for babies to first indicate their consent before you can change their nappies. Truly, truth is relative, they say. 
The absurdity of relativism is coming for our children. I don't say that lightly. It's coming for our children. It's coming for our marriages. It's coming for our homes. It's coming for our communities. It's coming for our congregations. What are we doing with the truth? Are we just going to hide it under the basket and, sit and take a seat on the hilltop and sing Kumbaya, my Lord, with the world? The Spirit of the Lord has stirred my heart to tell you that the God of the Bible, the originator and the embodiment of truth is calling for the tables to be turned. He is calling for the carriers of light to arise, to march into darkness, to use the sword of the Spirit to destroy the lies of the enemy. There is a call for spiritual optometrists to start issuing out spectrum to those who have a blurred vision of the truth and it's time for 2 Corinthians 10 pretensions to manifest where we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we must take it captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. There is a call for the soldiers of Christ to stand up to equip ourselves in the word of God, to put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel, and to sever the works of iniquity with the sword of the spirit. The answer is, if you understand truth and where to find it, then you will be able to defend God's word with precision and grace. You cannot defend if you do not know what the truth is. Every question or topic or argument addressed will seek God as the source of truth on the matter. And the matter shall be settled by His truth. The scripture requires all authentic Christians as those who know the truth and have been liberated by it. That they believe it with their whole heart. That they obey the truth through the Spirit of God. And that they have received a fervent love for the truth through the gracious work of God in their hearts. According to the Bible then, if you haven't really grasped the truth at all, if there is no sense in which you know it, believe it, submit to it and love it, then you don't know truth. And there are many who only want to ride on their salvation experience. Indeed, it is the most incredible thing that, or gift that one can ever receive. But where is the pursuit of growth in the Lord? Where is the desire for knowledge, understanding, and wisdom? How can we obey the Lord if we don't know the Lord? How can we know the Lord if we don't read His Word? How can we hear? his voice when we don't know his heart how can we explain what happened at salvation and what we stand for when we don't know what we stand for the reason we have so much compromise is because we don't know what the absolute truth is 
The world has created this wishy-washy version, version of a sovereign God who throws a blind eye to the very things that he abhors. We have allowed the world to dictate to us what the standard of morality is and created a cushioned Christian experience where you do whatever feels right for you. I kid you not, that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is clear on what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, what is humility and what is pride, what is love and what is lust, what is discipleship and what is lukewarm loving. It's time we pick up the Bible and not only know what it says, but love and preach the absolute truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. I believe when we declare the righteous standard of God, then people will have an opportunity to be set free. The second reason why darkness thrives. Some don't believe the Bible is true. Some Christians don't believe the standard is true. I came across a statistic, and it's only about the American population. It says a record low, 25% of American Christians now say, only 25% of them say the Bible is the literal word of God. Meanwhile, a new high of 29% say, the Bible is a collection of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts recorded by man. These are Christians. Christians are silent, I believe, because they are not fully convinced. And deep down, there's a hint of doubt that the Bible is reliable. There are many followers of Christ that have even said they don't believe all parts of the Bible. Many are unsure of how to convince others concerning the reliability of the Bible and they eject when they hear statements like the Bible is full of contradictions. The Bible was written by man, so how can it be reliable? Natural history and science is more reliable than the Bible. These are common claims made against the Bible. And many of us are not really sure on how to respond to arguments like this. And I'm not speaking from a place of, 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 of arrogance or anything like that. Because I too many times don't know how to respond to the nonsense that people are putting on. I'm sure the students here felt the same. But at least we got some sort of tactic and some approach on how to tackle these type of situations. Now the Bible we know is the best-selling book in history and remains one of the most controversial. It is revered by Christians as God's holy word. The Bible spans centuries of history, contains a variety of literary styles and culminates into the person of Jesus Christ. But how do we know that the Bible is true? If someone asks you that question, just for a moment, how do you know the Bible is true? knocks you out of the park, right? Isn't it just a collection of stories and myths? Even if it contains some history, is there any way that we can trust it completely? The issue then is the reliable. You will find that it is reliable. But for the skeptics, I shall present you with the following facts. You talk about discrepancies. 
The Bible is the only religious book of all religions that passes the bibliographical test that scholars use to test the textual transmission of ancient books. Basically, this test will tell you whether its message has lost its original meaning over a period of time. Go check. There are hundreds of textual non-Christian scholars that confirm the transmission test and confirm the reliability of the Bible in their own words. You say, where is you talking only from the Bible, so you're being biased. What about sources outside the Bible? Go check. There are and there is a growing body of documentary knowledge outside of the Christian community that testify of the life of Jesus and the events described about his life. These being Jewish scholars, Greek scholars, Roman scholars. What about the historians? Go check. They are unbelieving historians, authors, politicians that have written books, not a book, books that confirm the historical evidence of the life of Jesus and the events of the New Testament. His life, the crucifixion, and the resurrection outside of the Bible. For those believers who say they only believe the Old Testament. There you have it. Translation integrity. The Bible has been translated in 704 languages. The New Testament into an additional 1,551 languages. And Bible portions and stories to 1,160 languages. The Bible stands tall as the only written book that holds its textual integrity. Whereas other religious books are marked as having chronological errors, extremely selective content, and compromised human errors. These are the words of scholars, not Christians. The central message, the most remarkable thing, is that it's written by over 40 authors over three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe, and still remains to hold the consistent and central message of truth. For the geologists, the people that like to scratch in the sand, archaeological maps, go check in geology. The Bible is used as a guide for archaeological excavations and have helped non-believing historians discover cities, towns, battles, and customs. Go check. They even found the remains of Noah's Ark. It's not just a story. It actually happened. Prophecy, I, I don't even need to elaborate on that. There are thousands of prophecies that have been fulfilled, written in this book, centuries ago. For the scientists, my favorite part, and those that say natural law, there's a contradiction. Are you ready? Are you ready? And you guys need to get excited because this is facts, evidence that the Bible is reliable. The discovery of time, force, energy, space, and matter was discovered by scientists in the year 1820. It was written in Genesis chapter 1. 
The stars cannot be counted. Some scientists discovered it in 1900. It was written in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. Oh, uh, what do you call this? Doctor scientists discovered that life is in the blood. Only discovered in 1628. Written in Leviticus 17, verse 11. The earth is held together by gravitational forces discovered in 1665, written in Job 26 verse 7. The paths of the seas and that is a current in the waves discovered in 1825, written in Psalm 8 verse 8. They found that the earth has a core in 1906. Really? It was written in Job 28 verse 5. The Bible is reliable. The Bible is reliable. The Bible is reliable. The fact that the Bible is reliable means that God is true. That God is reliable and we hold the word of God in our hands. Whatever your issue is or your trial, this book holds the answer that God has written for you. Are you depressed? Read the word. Are you lonely? Read the word. Are you in need? Read the word. Are you troubled? Read the word. Are you confused? Read the word. Are you hurting? Read the word. Read the word. Read the word. Read the word. Hold on to it with your dear life. Whenever you read it, you are opening your ears. And having a conversation with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I have come to tell you this morning, the word of the Lord is right. And all his work is done in truth. The gentle of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations be very firm then to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you may not turn aside from it to the left, to the right hand or to the left. And then in closing, and you can say amen. Oh. <laughs> Isaiah 40 verse 6 to 8. A voice says cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You know, we can stand here all day and try to exhaust all the possible tricky questions that you'll discover in your workplace or that you may encounter overflowing deceptive ideologies. But if we know and, underst know and understand where to find truth, then there is no topic too complex to respond with the truth. I also want to say to you, this message is not to stir us to become argumentative and to pick fights with people or to become arrogant in our faith because Paul is clear in the way and the manner we should be presenting truth 
in grace and in love. But there is a call for us to educate ourselves and to stand strong in our belief that the word of God is reliable and that his word must not be tampered with or made to apply to our flesh. Okay, and that's it. I'm done. <laughs> All glory to God.